0: What a joy to be here. Um, This morning, I've got a question for all of us and for you. What does it mean to belong to the people of God, to be a citizen of His city? What does it mean to be born in Him? We've been in the Summer Psalms series, and today we're looking at Psalm 87, Psalm 87. This is a fascinating psalm that speaks about those who belong in the city of God, those who are considered citizens. And when we think about who belongs to God and who will be with Him forever. Maybe you will envision medieval paintings of saints with halos or chubby cherubs playing harps, respectable and cute people. But our passage today describes the citizens of heaven, and we're going to find that the list certainly is not that. It's quite surprising. So open your Bibles or your Bible app to the book of Psalms, Psalm 87. If you're new to the Bible, it's a little before the middle. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you have that, follow along. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. You can grab one. And Psalm 87 is on page 283 of that Bible. So Psalm 87, let's read together. Glorious things of you are spoken a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city He founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of You are spoken, O city of God, Selah. Among those who know Me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say, and of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there, Selah. Singers and dancers alike say, all My springs are in you. Psalm 87 talks about Zion, the glorious city of God. A city made up of of God's citizens, And, and who are these? They're not who you'd think they'd be. What is glorious about this city? That's how it starts. Glorious things are said of you. What is glorious about this city? It's the wondrous act of God in bringing people into her. Listen, the glory of God is to accept and welcome people we wouldn't. God revels in making unexpected and unworthy people objects of His grace. As we begin, I'm in need of God's help, so so let's pray. Father, help us today as we look into Your Word. Open our eyes to the amazing wonder of Your love. Help us understand how needy we are and how gracious You are. Help us walk away today in awe of the Savior who has caused us to be born again in Your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Psalm 87 is a short, simple psalm. But what it says is staggering. It highlights four amazing things about God and about God's city, and these will be our points today if you're taking notes. One, God loves His city. Two, God's city is made up of unexpected people. Three, God Himself brings these people in. And four, the glory of the city is God's grace. Let's dig in. God loves His special city. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2. It says this, On the holy mount stands the city He founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Our psalm starts out declaring that God loves the city He founded. It's treasured particularly by Him. Now, Zion, if you know your history, is the place where God makes His presence known in the world. Mount Zion was associated with Jerusalem, a city settled settled long before the Israelites arrived. But on this mountain, Jerusalem was founded spiritually as God directed Solomon to build the temple there. God chose to dwell in Zion, to put His presence there in a special way. The Old Testament is full of of references to Zion and Jerusalem. It is spoken of with greatest reverence because this is where God Himself chose to dwell with His people. Jerusalem and Zion had the temple where the Holy of Holies was set and where God's presence was seen in a unique way. And when Psalm 87 speaks of Zion, it's speaking much more than the city of Jerusalem, however. It looks through the halls of time and describes the eternal city of God. It speaks to the future and God's plans for His special presence with His people. It speaks of a coming heavenly city. This is about God and His people. God loves His city. And that brings us to our second point and the astounding surprise element of this psalm. God's city is made up of unexpected people. They are described in verse 4. Now knowing that this psalm is referring to Zion, Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the Jewish nation, we would expect a description of wonderful, righteous Israelites. But instead of that, verse 4 includes a very surprising list of Israel's enemies. They're all Israel's enemies. Okay, so we'll go through them. Rahab and Babylon are spoken of. These were the two superpowers of the day. Rahab refers to Egypt and Babylon you've heard of, and Egypt, of course. But Rahab was the name of a mythological sea monster that came to be associated poetically with Egypt. Rahab was a chaos monster. That's what this is saying. The chaos monster is in the heavenly city. To Israelites, Egypt had caused them chaos throughout their history. Babylon, the other superpower, had and would cause great harm to Israel. They lay siege to Jerusalem, carry the people of Israel into captivity, and here they are on the list. Then Philistia and Tyre with Cush. These were the other traditional enemies of Israel, though enemies in a different way. Philistia was an internal enemy that harassed Israel throughout the time of David. It's now called Palestine and is in conflict with Israel to this day. Tyre was an important commercial city-state to the north of Israel, part of Phoenicia. A famous person came from Tyre, Jezebel, Jezebel, the daughter of the high priest of Tyre who married Israel's king Ahab and brought much trouble to Israel. Cush. Cush is the name of the Nubian kingdom, closely connected with Egypt. Cushites often served as mercenaries in the Egyptian forces. Amazingly, Psalm 87 anticipates a day when people from Egypt and Babylon and Philistia and Tyre and Cush will be counted as native to Jerusalem, as citizens. This is completely unexpected, and if you were an Israelite reading this, you would be utterly shocked. These were the enemies of Israel, God's chosen people. They would have been considered detestable to readers of this psalm. To give you a sense of how detestable, Revelation 2 speaks against a woman in Thyatira in the letters to the churches who encouraged sexual immorality and idolatry, and they call her that Jezebel of a woman. The name Jezebel related to Tyre, name became a byword for treachery and evil. Revelation 17 calls Babylon the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. God's bringing them in. How astounding that this psalm says that among Rahab and Babylon and Philistia and Tyre and Cush, there will be people in the city of God whom people say, this one was born there. The people described are God's enemies, detestable to Israel, but they're called the very citizens of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God's city. They're called God's own people. Let that sink in. It's amazing. Some personal application. As Dustin said so well last week, the Psalms help us process our experiences, our emotions. And I think one of the most powerful things about this Psalm, and it did this to me when I read it, is that it provokes surprise and even anger that God would save people who are His enemies, people that have brought anguish to others, the violent, the criminal, the sexually immoral, those in opposition to God. Such surprise and anger is not new to the Bible. We saw this in Jonah as he ran from God's call to preach to the Ninevites, another evil people. He didn't want to go. Why help them? We we see this in the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Like Jonah, the older brother thought it was completely unfair and unjust that God would save and honor a person like his younger brother who had squandered his father's money, who had been immoral, who had done awful things. The early disciples had the same reaction towards Saul, which we heard about not long ago, when he, became, when he came to know Jesus. How could this persecutor of the church now be one of them? All of us can have similar reactions. Be honest with yourself. Do you think that God wouldn't save someone who's a criminal? If so, note the thief on the cross who was told he would be in paradise with Jesus. How about a murderer? Just look at King David. How about those who have been sexually immoral? Consider Judah. And again, King David and Mary Magdalene and the woman at the well. There are other categories as well. Do you find it difficult to imagine that someone of a different political persuasion could be saved? How about a Democrat? How about a Republican? How about a socialist? Are there certain people groups you don't like? Sadly, our prejudices and hatreds run in many, many directions. And whenever we think like this, we are not thinking like God. We're also forgetting something crucially important. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this, and listen carefully to the whole thing, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God." When this psalm describes unexpected outsiders made His people it is describing us. If there are people that you don't prefer among God's people, remember that you, too, were not preferred. God's city, His church, is made up of sinners, sinners saved by grace. God is in the business of washing, sanctifying, and justifying all types of people through Christ, even people like you and me. That's amazing. That brings us to the third amazing reality in this psalm. God Himself brings these people in. God Himself Psalm 87 talks about a registry of citizens in this city. When listing the people, it declares, and when it declares and makes the declaration, this one was born there, it does it three times again and again and again in verses 4, 5, and 6. Listen, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say, and of Zion it shall be said. This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. Those of God's city become citizens by birth. Did you note that? How can it be that those from other lands, Israel's enemies, those outside of Israel, those hated by God, are declared to be born in Zion? Remember what verse 1 noted of this psalm? It says, on the holy mount stands the city He founded. This is the city God founds and he numbers those who belong there. Jesus made it clear to Nicodemus that Nicodemus needed to be born again, born of the Spirit. John 3, 3-5 says this, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again? When he's old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we ask the same question that Nicodemus did. How can a man be born again? How can you be born in Zion when you weren't born there? John 1, 11 through 13 says that Jesus does this. Listen, says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the rights to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John 5 goes on. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's how the new birth happens. It's through Jesus. Jesus adds the citizens to His city. He adds their name to the registry to a list in other places called the book of life. Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out His name out of the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. Revelation 20, 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done." Those brought into God's city are born again and registered as citizens by God. Amazing. Never to be blotted out. They're also changed. Listen to 1 John five eighteen. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Jesus is in the work of not only registering and bringing in, but of cleaning up His people, and He's good at it. Revelation 21 says, speaking of the heavenly city in this way, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The people in God's city, though from the outside, are treated as if they were born there. There will be no second-class citizens in heaven. Each and every one was placed there by God, and all are born by His Spirit. The reality, none deserve to be there. They are born by the act of God. They're made and declared citizens by Him. He sanctifies them he loves them. All are precious to him. They're his people. And all of that, this leads us to the final point. The glory of the city is God's grace. Verses 3, 6, and 7 of our psalm offer up praise and wonder for what has been declared here. Verse 3 states, Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Selah. That little word selah at the end of the verse is interesting. It's not entirely understood what it means. It's been debated. Some say it's a musical interlude, perhaps a pause, because this is a song after all. But when you see it, Many see it as an opportunity to, it's a moment to reflect on what was just said. Verse 6 also has a Selah, the Lord records as He registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. So reflecting on what these verses state, what is the, the glory of the city of God? The glory of God's city is that God Himself reaches out to the lost, the unlovely, and makes them His own. The Lord Himself registers its citizens, declaring outsiders as one who was born there. This is completely undeserved. People from Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush. America, weren't born in Jerusalem. People who are enemies are treated as friends. People like you and me find ourselves given all the privileges of native citizenship. It's not deserved, it's grace. The glory of the city of God is God's grace. The glory of the city is Jesus, the one who gives new life in Him. He records enemies as citizens of His city. He takes the dead and adds them to the Lamb's book of life. He takes the detestable and makes them holy. While the Old Testament points to the temple as God's dwelling place, in the New Testament God makes His presence known through Jesus. Hebrews and Revelation describes this glory of Jesus in the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to Hebrews 12, 22, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Describing the heavenly city, Revelation 21, 22 says, and I saw no temple in the city, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations." So what's the end of knowing all this? Praise and wonder. Look at verse 7. It ends with worshipers, singers and dancers, expressing joy. And what do they say? Look at verse 7. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you." The assembled nations singing to God in heaven will worship and proclaim that their springs, and that's talking about the source of life, where everything is coming from, their springs are all found there. They know that that they're there for one reason and one reason alone the life-giving grace of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the light of the heavenly city. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Jesus took our sins upon himself and suffered the consequences of our unrighteousness by dying on the cross. Jesus gives us spiritual life, making us born again, through the work of His Spirit. Jesus registers us as citizens in His city, listing our names in the Lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out. Jesus works in us and cleans us up and makes us like Him. And on that day, we will stand together in the new Jerusalem in white clothing, undeserved white clothing, all of our sin wiped away to be known and experienced no more no more sin. God revels in making the despicable and unworthy objects of His grace. His glory is in the gracious work of His Son. All the good we see in our lives, all the life and light we experience, all our strength and all our joy comes through the grace of Jesus. Truly, all that is good is from Him. We, with the celebrants of Psalm 87, declare, all my springs are in you. We shout along with them, thank you for life. Thank you for saving me. So as we close, if you're here, you may feel like you could never be brought into God's city. If you feel that way, if you're thinking that, don't listen to the lie, because it's not about you. To be listed as a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem, you must be born again, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus offers life to all, all who come to Him. He gives life in His Spirit. Through Him, we're born again. By Him, we're freed from our sins and made alive. And this is God's offer to you today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Christian, do you feel today that you're trying to hold yourself in the kingdom? Know this, you can't. But He who made you alive in Him can. He wrote your name in the book of life. He's got you, and He will keep you until the end. Just as you came to Him at salvation, come to Him daily. You needed Him when you first came, and you need Him today. Listen to Paul in Philippians 1-6, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as the worship team comes. Father, this morning we're amazed by You, amazed and surprised at Your grace afresh. Thank You for pouring Your love on us, even people like us. Jesus, thank You that You take Your enemies and make them sons and daughters. Thank you that you save unworthy people like me. You've given us life now and for eternity. You are our peace, our hope, our joy. We love you and thank you. Amen.